Hey, this is Dave Dwork from WPLG Local 10 News and the Chirping the Cats podcast. You're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. Happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jansi. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going good, going good. I had a slow trickle of trick-or-treaters come on through for Halloween, but other than that, not doing too much. That's good, man. That's good. I mean, I could say the same thing with our place, right? Like... You and I were talking about this off air. It just seems like there's not as many kids year after year that I've really noticed. And we've lived in this neighborhood for the last 20 so years. So it really is kind of surprising. But you know what? It wouldn't surprise me because there's not really a ton of families that still live around here because they either have moved away or elsewhere. Now, Tim, we got ourselves a great episode ahead of us because this is... Season 6, Episode 3, in chronological order, Episode 127, the Alex Kovalev edition of the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. So, just a little background about Alex Kovalev. He was drafted 15th overall by the New York Rangers in 1991. He played 19 seasons in the the NHL with five NHL teams, the New York Rangers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Montreal Canadiens, Ottawa Senators, and Florida Panthers, recording 430 goals, 599 assists for 1,029 points, in 1,316 games, and he played parts of two seasons with the Senators, recording 32 goals, 44 assists, for 76 points in 131 games. Now, Tim, when talking about Alex Kovalev, before we get into talking about his Sens tenure, let's talk about Alex Kovalev, the player, because, you know, Alex Kovalev, he was part of that first wave of Russian, like the young Russian players coming over, like the Alexander McGillneys, Pravel Burries, Sergei Fedorovs, and stuff like that. And yet for me, I think Matthew Barnaby put it best. Alex Kovalev is the most underachieving 1,000-point guy in the NHL. I always forget that the dude had 1,000 points. And I think he won a, was he on one of the Pittsburgh teams that won a Stanley Cup too? 94 Rangers. 94 Rangers. Yes. So dude has a Stanley Cup. Dude has a thousand points. And I don't remember all that much about him other than him just being that player that you knew he just had all that skill inside him. And it only really came out when he felt like it was time for it to come out was the knock against him. And you definitely saw it in this time in Ottawa. Yeah, but you know, that's a knock. I think a lot of the Russian guys had. You definitely saw that in Alexander McGillney. Sergei Fedorov definitely had that knock at times, but Kovalev is one of those guys that it's funny talking about him because I actually got to agree with Barnaby on that one. Because, you know, when I think of Alex Kovalev, I can't really say to, I don't have much of an opinion on him. The guy, yeah, the guy recorded a thousand points in the NHL, but it's one of those things where it's like, you knew he was in the NHL. You knew he was talented, but you're, you nailed it on the head there. He only came out to play when he wanted to. And that was a really a shame because I've heard interviews with guys talking about Kovalev and he's talking about how Kovalev could single-handedly 
dominate by himself. Like he, there was things in practice where, you know, you would do like fun, like little scrimmages or two on ones. He was doing five on ones and he was beating guys. Think about the skill of Alex Kovalev that he can do against five guys by himself. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you saw evidence even in his like his 36, 37 year old seasons where, yeah, he still had the jets on him. And it was just sad to see that uh, he didn't really put the effort in all the time. So it seemed. Yeah. And unfortunately it is, but it is, but you know what though, when you're that talented at times you can kind of get away with that, but you can only get away with that for so long. If you're putting up the points, you know, <clears throat> to be fair, he got away with it from age 19 to age 37. That is true. It's a pretty I... long time to get away with it. Like the guy was supremely talented. He really was. He really was. Now, when talking about his tenure in Ottawa, I'm going to say something that I don't know if a lot of people would agree with this. I never saw the, I never saw why the senators went after him. You know, the only, because for me, this does not seem like a Brian Murray pickup to me. This seems like a Eugene Melnick pickup for me. Cause he was definitely like, Oh my God, Alex Kovalev, he's so talented. We need him on this team because when you really look back on it, Yes, I understand that the Danny. Well, remember what they the Healy stuff was already out there. Yeah, but outside of that, what was the real purpose to bring Alex Kovalev to Ottawa, especially in a guy who was in his I mean mid to late thirties? Well, the way that I look at it is, you had a really, really questionable centers team in 0809 that just missed the playoffs in 0708. It was like the high flying centers that then just crash back to earth. So like, I think reinforcing that core was a good idea. And the idea of veteran leadership being Alex Kovalev doesn't seem insane. To be fair, in that first season with Ottawa, the dude put up 50 points. I mean, yeah, I, I get it. I just, that. to me, and I'm like, just the minority on this. I've, even at the time, I mean, at the time you can kind of see, because he had had all those really good years in Montreal, but he's coming to Ottawa on the back end of his thirties. And it's just like, okay, are you really here? Cause you want to be in Ottawa or are you here because the team is throwing you 5 million bucks a season? I mean, sure. But he put up like, here's the thing. Who else were you going to play on that right wing? Like you had Alfredson and McCulloch, I guess. And, but McCulloch also played a lot of left wing that year. And then Jonathan Chichu was basically dead. And honestly, that was a very fun team. So it's like, I can't hate it too much. And then they managed to get something for him in 2010, 2011, when Brian Murray tore that sucker down. I know. And then it completely turned to 180 as they made the playoffs for the next two seasons. Yeah. So it was a very, I don't have a problem with the pickup. And I do remember seeing uh, Kovalev play in Vancouver on the senders. And it was a game where like, it was like the first game back after the Olympic break and Spezza and Alfredson seemed out of sorts, but Kovalev, he tried to put the whole team on his back. It didn't work. Vancouver ended up winning, but it was probably one of the best games I saw him in sense sweater because you could see how dynamic he was, especially him basically willing two goals. 
when talking about Kovalev as a senator, the the one moment everybody can think of, I apologize if I can't remember the team they played against, the four-goal game, when he did the moonwalk in the three stars. That was awesome. It was, but I don't know. I mean, for me, I'm not sure what it was about Kovalev in Ottawa. I just, it didn't work for me personally. Maybe it's a hindsight thing that I'm just like, okay, eh. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Oh, it was against Philly. Oh, against Philadelphia? Okay. Now, as much as I can just kind of like, you know, sort of make up whatever the hell I want to think about Alex Kovalev as a senator, it would only delay the inevitable because we got to announce next week's cover athlete for season six, episode four, in chronological order, episode 128. Now, we had four names on the board representing three different eras of the Ottawa Senators. Steve Duchesne, Todd White, Connor Brown, and Claude Giroux. And I am happy to say the winner for next week's cover athlete poll, Claude Giroux. I mean, are you surprised? No. I figured it was going to either be Connor or Claude. I love that Kelly commented. She says, how dare you make me choose between our two ginger kings? <laughs> Which, by the way, Kelly also wants to see your entertainment system. Because I also still never got a picture of this. Yeah, I guess you can get a photo of that. Yeah. Now, of course, we can do that later on tonight, Tim. Now, as I mentioned at the top, today's Halloween. So by the time you listen to this episode, happy November 1st, everybody. <laughs> Now, we're talking about Halloween, Tim, and I believe we talked about this in the past because you spent some time in the United Kingdom as a kid. And, of course, yep. when we met in the mid-2000s, we were going to school, you just came over from the United Kingdom. If I'm not mistaken, did you mention on the podcast or not? Because you were saying, apparently, in the UK when you were living there, Halloween was not really a thing. Really then? a thing. Not really. Yeah, so trick-or-treating wasn't a thing. You you'd still get like exposure to it from like American cartoons that came over with that sort of thing. So you started to see some trick or treaters, but like, yeah, no, there weren't a ton of people handing out candy. So yeah, no, it just wasn't really a thing. Okay. Cause you, was it just because you were living in a small village in, in the UK? Well, well we were living in a small town, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't really a thing in London either. Cause remember that guy Fox night is just the week after. So yes. there wasn't really a lot of air for so Halloween. The, what's breathe. the night after? Sorry, Guy Fox Night. Yeah, what is that? So basically, it was a big celebration where people get around, set a big bar- bonfire. I don't really call it a festival. It's like city comes together, lights up a big bonfire. People just start shooting off fireworks. So it's like, like that's what's kind of yeah. Actually, that's a pretty good descriptor for it. So like you'd go down to either like the local rugby club or something like that, and people would burn effigies of the Pope and. Light off fireworks and that sort of thing, hand out hot chocolate, that sort of stuff. Uh, so by, Guy Fox was a guy who tried to assassinate the British Parliament in the fifth, sorry, the seventeenth century because Britain had switched from being a Catholic nation to a Protestant nation, and he was hoping that blowing up Parliament would allow a Catholic par- Parliament or a return to monarchy rule, which was under a Catholic at the time to be established to reinstate Catholic rule in, rule in the UK. Uh, Guy Fox was caught and burned at the stake. 
So that's where the tradition comes from. Okay. Is that a nationwide holiday or is that just separate to whatever town? Okay. Um, So Guy Fox, it's at least England wide. Yeah. And he did event at one point. He did go over and fight for the Spanish and that sort of stuff. But yeah. So that's where the holiday comes from. By the way, is is that him there? Uh, That's the mask that often gets people call the Guy Fox mask. Yeah. Yeah, the V for Vendetta guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, honestly, I had never even heard about this. Guy Fox, also known as Guido Fox, while fighting for the Spanish, was a member of a group of provincial English Catholics involved in the failed gunpowder plot of 1605. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, they tried to blow up Parliament. Yeah, I love love that you just thrown a little history lesson out of there, Tim. I really, really appreciate that, man. Well, I mean, it's the reason why Halloween probably never took hold in the UK was because there was literally something happening, a major holiday, not five days later. Okay, so it's kind of not, it's not like kind of in the States where it's, uh... oh, for fuck's sakes, what's the holiday that comes after American Thanksgiving? Christmas? No, not Christmas. It's a... um... Black Friday? I think, yeah, I think it's Black Friday. That's what I'm thinking of. Well, Black Friday was created because most people in the U.S., because Thanksgiving is a Thursday, they'll just take the Friday off too. So retailers are like, hey, what if we just put on a bunch of deals to clear out inventory that we want to get rid of before we bring in a whole bunch of Christmas stock? Or this is a way to open up the Christmas season with some doorbusters. And a bunch of people are taking the day off anyway. Why don't we coordinate so more people have a reason to come down and shop. Okay. So Black Friday exists solely because of Thanksgiving and the fact that a lot of people will take. Oh, I love the French term for when there's a holiday on a Thursday or a Tuesday and people turn a, two- a three-day wor- weekend into a four-day weekend. Woo, four-day it's weekend. It's called a faire le pont or make the bridge. It's a great term. Really is. That is a great term. I'm tr- sorry. I'm still trying to think of this holiday. I think it's uh, Memorial Day. That's what I'm thinking of. I don't know why I was thinking Memorial Day came after America Thanksgiving. Memorial Day is the same. Is their equivalent of Remembrance Day? Yeah, I, d- I don't know why I was thinking that, Tim. I never claimed to be the smartest dude around, <laughs> but that's okay, man. That's why I got you because you will be here <laughs> me and give me some history lessons about Guy Fox. Yeah, because I didn't know who Guy Fox was. I saw the mask and I was like, oh yeah, that's be from Vendetta. God, that's not how I saw this podcast going, Timmy, but that's all good. That's all good. Now, when we're talking about Halloween. Now, of course, like you were saying, I mean, Halloween wasn't really a thing in the UK, but it is here in Canada. Two things I do want to ask about Halloween Canada for yourself. First of all, did you have a favorite costume you ever wore when you were here? Favorite costume? Hmm. Honestly, it's tough because, like, thinking back, I don't think I ever really had a good costume until I started doing cosplay for conventions. I guess when I was a kid, I had, like, uh, when I was younger and before we went to the UK, I did have, like, a really good Dudley the Dragon costume that my mom made. Let's go with that. Do you have photos of this? My parents probably do somewhere because, like, this was before digital cameras. 
You know what? I imagine Mrs. Jancy, your mom, would be amazing at making costumes. Oh, yeah, she was. Yeah, but like when it came into, oh, I'm going to make my own costumes, it just turned into Value Village cosplay. I was going to say, do you think that's where maybe you and Chris got the thing when it came to like cosplaying and stuff was through your mom doing those? Oh, I've never been good. Maybe. I've never been good at doing it myself, so I'd often just go to Value Village and purchase the wig and stuff. Like, uh, for my later cosplay, it's usually Chelsea making it. Okay. You just don't have the kind of skills that translate for it? No. Not at all. I'm useless with a, show- a sewing machine. Well, at least you got Chelsea there helping you, man. Because, I mean, yeah, actually yeah, talking about... That's true. I remember there was one thing he went... He went as Master Chief, correct? Am I, am I wrong for saying uh, that? He's done a bunch of Halo stuff, yeah. Yeah, I think he did Master Chief. And I remember seeing a picture of it thinking, wow, that looks good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The armor and stuff they make, are, it's fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know what I was thinking about when talk when I was thinking about doing this for the show? Do you remember when we were in 10th grade? Was it your was it Chris and his friends that went as the Ghostbusters? I think that, yeah, it was them. When they were in, when they were in grade 12, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I had not thought of that in so long. And then I just popped in my head. I can't remember what I did that year. I don't think I did anything. No, I remember in uh, grade 12, I took an old pair of coveralls and turned it into a fallout <laughs> jumpsuit. And then brought like a baseball bat and a Nerf gun with me. There was like the people who like played fallout, like, oh, that's awesome. Everyone's like, what is that? <laughs> So duality a man sort of thing. I don't um, think I ever saw that actually. Now that I think about it, no, I don't think I saw that. I don't think there's any photos of it. No. Because that was like the year before. You know how there was like that period of like at the start of high school, people had like the crappy cell phones that could just like barely text, right? Yeah. And then like the year after that, like the camera phones started coming and they were really crap. Yeah, that's when you got the the first wave of the iPhone. Yeah, well, even before that, you had, like, the feature phones that had a, had a camera. The iPhone didn't even have a camera, right? Like, the first, up until really? the iPhone, th- it was the iPhone 3, I think, that added the camera. Really? I, I assumed yeah. that the iPhone always had it. No, the original iPhone did not have one. Oh, okay. Or at least if it, or was it, it didn't have video. It was one of the two. But, uh, mm. yeah, I remember. And then, like, kind of in, like, 2009, 2010 is when, like, people started smartphones started becoming really common mm-hmm. i remember yeah, that. i remember uh i ended up getting one early 2010 and i was like one of a few people in the class that had an iphone yeah god i was just thinking back to that yeah because i remember before then like they had the flip phones yeah or the blackberries yeah blackberries that's another phone that nobody ever talks about anymore i mean the old ones were kind of bad. Sorry, actually, the old ones at the time were very good. But then iPhone 3, they opened up the App Store and the rest was history. Yeah. I never had a BlackBerry. I think the first iPhone I ever had, I think it was a 6? Six? 6S? I think it was one of those. It's not a bad yeah. thing. The problem, with the, the problem with iPhones for me is that I, you know, the contracts for my phones were like three years. Yep. And yet every single, I was like, no, it was like two or three years. The phone 
always crapped out on me right before the contract ended. Every single iPhone I've ever had. It's just like, oh. Oh, it had a camera, but it couldn't do video. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was us thinking. Yeah, the iPhone had, had the camera. Now, go back to what we talking about the costume. And, you know, I had some, you know, I had the Walmart costumes when I was growing up. I was Darth Vader one year. Scream, I was, at, you know, it's funny. I was handing out trick treats for these kids, and there's still a couple of screams out there. Huh. Yeah, there was one year, I think I went as Freddy Krueger. I think I went as Freddy Krueger one year when I was like a little kid because my brother had the mask and the claws. Right. I remember that. The best one of them all. And it wasn't sixth grade, it was seventh grade. I remember this. Was it sixth grade? Sixth or seventh grade, because I remember it was myself, Keith and David Lukey. Chris Johnson was with us. I remember that time. I don't know if you do you remember Chris? Yeah, I remember Chris. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So a little backstory for our listeners. So Chris Johnson was a kid that Tim and a kid that Tim and I went to school with. He unfortunately died in a car accident years ago. Yeah. So we were hanging out on Halloween and I had the best costume of all. I went as Angus Young from ACDC. I remember this costume because you wore it to school that day. Yep. I had the shorts. I had the blazer, the tie, the, I didn't have the hat. The hat was the only thing I didn't have. I had the wig, the best thing of them all. Do you remember that wooden SG my dad made me? Oh yeah, that was so good. He had the, had the strings and every, I was just good. There is a picture somewhere I have. I wasn't in that costume, but I have the guitar. Was that the year I did Darth Vader? Was it? Or was that eighth grade? Eight, no, Darth Vader was eighth grade. I can't remember what the hell I did seventh yeah. grade then. No, I think that was se- yeah, that was seventh grade that uh, I went as Angus yeah. because Chris moved up island. Yeah, yeah. The in when we were in eighth grade, that's right. Well, yeah, I did now. No, Angus Young was the best. Oh, that was so good. That was such a great costume, man. I wish, I wish I had photos of that because honestly, it looked so amazing. It really was. It was incredible. I wonder if there's one in an old Q of A yearbook somewhere. There might. Well, I was going to say, you're going to possibly be back on the island for Christmas. Yeah, we're going to be testing what we're going to be taste testing wedding cakes. (laughs) That's not a bad. That's not a bad thing, man. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, we got to look through those yearbooks, see if there's any photos. Get that would be if I if I find that photo, I will throw it up on Twitter. Oh, it, that'd be sweet. Yeah. So good. It was so good, good, man. God, again, I had not thought of that costume in so long until I was thinking about it today. Now, for me, the big thing for Halloween, as was for a lot of kids, was the candy. Yep. Now, a few things I do remember about going trick-or-treating as a kid. For some of our East Coast and Ontario listeners, they might know what Humpty Dumpty Chips is. Humpty Dumpty chips is not a thing on the West Coast. Yeah, they stopped selling them in Ontario. Yeah. I Sorry, remember- like they're in Ontario, and then you get to Manitoba, and all of a sudden the Humpty Dumpties disappear and the Old Dutch show up. Old Dutch, I remember, yeah, it was like Old Dutch, Lay's, Humpty Dumpty chips. I, I've never, I remember looking at the Humpty Dumpty chips and thinking, what the heck is this? Humpty Dumpty chips? They were all right. If I can quote EDP 445. 
I mean, that's all right. Like, overrated as fuck, in my opinion. People bought them because they were cheap. Yeah, that seems like a... And it shows. That seems like a Sobeys sort of purchase. Sobeys or Loblaws. It had to be one of the two. Hey, Loblaws is the upscale version. Because you know what the cheap version of Loblaws is, Tay? That's no frills. Oh, that's the no-name brands? That's the no-name brands. Yeah, Loblaws is the more ups. You're going up there a bit. Damn. But it's not, it's like it's Urban Fair or something fancy-pancy like that. Yeah. Or Again, the old are, Whole Foods. Yeah, these are all things that we don't have on the West Coast. <laughs> it's that's all East Coast stuff, because it's just like I would hear about Loblaws or Sobeys, and I'm like, what the hell are all those things? Like, because we had Savon out here, we had Thrifties out here. Walmart, so Sobeys owns Superstore. Thrifties. Yeah, like all those kind of stores. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so we have Sobeys in Alberta. Oh, do you really know? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now, when it comes to treats, I do got to ask, though, Tim, like, were you more a gummy candy or a chocolate kind of guy? How I think I always preferred the gummies, but I do like... So, this is the problem asking me about sweets, is I have an incorrigible sweet tooth. And that might also be why I just don't like candy with peanut butter in it. Get that savory shit out of there. More sugar. So what you're saying, you're not big of like Reese, Reese's cups and all that stuff? Well, it also doesn't help that like the peanut butter in Reese's cups is it's garbage. Like it's so it's like really so bad that the oil seeps through the chocolate. And by the time that you've gone to it, like it's, it's always at the bottom to the paper. Yeah, it's just like the greasiest fucking shit. I'm like, come on, guys. No. Yeah, you're like Katrina, though. Katrina's the exact same way. She will not eat like. I don't, I might be wrong. I've never seen her eat a Reese cup, Reese's pieces, anything that has like, well, she, she doesn't like peanuts, number one. And she doesn't like peanut butter. So like, like in Katrina, my girlfriend is a big, she likes to bake. Nothing has peanut butter in it. Cause I, I hate, I don't like peanut butter cookies. I think they're disgusting. I've never liked them. Peanut butter pie. Don't like it. anything. Any desserts with peanut, peanut butter? butter in it. Hey, what the? fuck is that okay when i used to work at the restaurant we had that because Ugh. our sous chef he would do well was it our sous chef was our first cook did you kidnap jimmy carter every single morning he would make pies and there was always like apple pie and you know cherry and blueberry you know and... things people like exactly they did cheesecakes not that great but they did cheesecakes the big, obviously, you remember the big cinnamon buns that were as big as yeah. my hands. But yeah, peanut butter pie was a big one. And I remember people actually liked it. It just looked weird. I don't know. Like, like Chelsea's allergic. I don't give a shit about peanut butter. So yeah. So it's not a big thing for you guys. Yeah, it's not a big deal. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, our wedding's going to be peanut free. So <laughs> no. I'm okay with that. But the question I got to ask, though, Tim, is... Even though Chelsea's allergic to peanuts, does she like peanuts, the cartoon? Like Snoopy and Charlie Brown. I think she likes it. Every so often, y'all just hear Schultz. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can so, see that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, now, when it comes to chocolate, do you did you have a favorite kind of treat at Halloween? And I know the oh, one the you're going to mention. Oh, I, I'm going to immediately this on. Oh, crunchy bars are great. You are underrated. You are a sick man, Mr. Jensen. Those they, are awful. They have they have that 
they're one of the few things that actually gets the sweetness level right. They're great. They got like that hard honeycomb texture. Love oh them. god, those are disgusting. I on, I could trade. I could trade one Reese for two of those. I do it every day, and I win every trade. God, you are just the worst. I swear. God, I hate those things. You know what? I remember my dad at Christmas years and years ago. He get he got. Excuse me. He got me and my brother those big Costco sized boxes of like chocolate bars. Yep. My dad got all the crunchies because he likes them. <laughs> and I think they're disgusting. I'm like, no, I am not eating those. Right? Send them my way. Oh God, those are just the worst. Now, the reason why I bring that up when it comes to the crunchies, because I think it was Steve Warren on Twitter. He put up the tweet today about, you know, from one to 16, what's your three favorites? Yeah. It was fun seeing some of the responses because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, I don't agree with that. Kind of agree with those. That's eh, fine. I mean, for myself, I was. Okay, here's the thing. I don't have the biggest of sweet tooths. If I want a something sweet, I'm going more gummy candy more than anything. Like gummy bears. You yeah. throw gummy bears in the fridge, you harden them up a bit. Mm. Lovely. Halloween is the only time I prefer chocolate. One of the big things for me is because my stepdad always took the Swedish berries. <laughs> and I don't mind Swedish berries, but he always took them. And the sweet and... um. Was it the Swedish fish? Yeah. Yeah, he took those too. All three of the kids, he took all of those, man. <laughs> but yeah, when it came to chocolate, like those little bite-sized Snickers. Oh, God, I love those bite-sized Snickers. They're so good. Oh, Henry's I like. One of them we didn't mention, though, was Coffee Crisp. Yo, Such that's so good. Thing, man. Every Canadian likes those. I mean, they're just really good. They are really good. They're really good. I do got to ask, though. Now, I don't know if the Walmarts in Calgary have these. Did you ever try the mocha-flavored ones? I know that uh, the Safeways had the double-doubles. Those were good. Okay, I've never tried the double-double one. I wonder what those would taste like. Is it more of a coffee? Like, much more coffee? Flavor yeah, it was more coffee and, like, a bit more creamy, I guess. Yeah, I found with the mocha ones, they were more, they were much more creamier. But yes, that's, and I think, ooh, cool fireworks. Um, I think you <laughs> and I would agree with this because, are, are, no, when it comes to chocolate, are you more of a creamy or a sweet guy? Like, are you Hershey or are you Cadbury? Cadbury. Yeah, see, for me, Cadbury, so good. Mini eggs? I mean, that's my jam right there, man. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. I fuck with the cream egg. You see, the thing about the cream egg is that the older I get, the less I kind of like them. I just love me my sweet fondant filling, all right? Yeah, I get it. I think because I've had them when they're like a little bit stale. And they're um, never like a... You know what? It, it, to me, it's kind of like Nutella. I like it when it's fresh. They're disgusting otherwise. Like when you get it fresh in the jar, like when you just open it and you smear it all over some bread. So good. Yeah. So good. Oh, I haven't had uh, Nutella in forever. Yeah, that's not bad. 
that's not bad. Now, do you have a treat that really, really stands out for you nowadays, given that you're an adult now and you hand out the treats? Because you know that you're probably eating a couple of those out of the bin. I've been pretty good for not eating the not eating the coffee crisps because we give out the full size chocolate bars. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Nice. You're that household, eh? Yep. Why not? That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Now, you know what's also beautiful, Tim? Is this segue into my favorite segment and your favorite segment? Top of the hour. Not bad. It works. Yeah. Didn't come out as smoothly as I would have liked, you know, like the filling of a Cadbury cream egg. But, you know, it's all good. Now, I got to say, Tim, we have a bit of a slow news week. But, you know, just because it's a, snow, a slow news week does not mean it's a bad one. Now, we're going to give a quick congratulations to former Minnesota Wild goaltender Devin Dubnik as he announced his retirement after 12 NHL seasons. Dubnik, drafted 14th overall by Edmonton in 2004, played for six teams, Edmonton, Nashville, Arizona, Minnesota, San Jose, and Colorado, recording a 253-206-54 and 54 record and a .914 save percentage while winning the Bill Masterson Trophy in 2015. Would you have believed me if I told you he got drafted in the first round? I forgot he got taken in the first round. The thing that surprises me more than anything else is goaltenders getting taken in the first round, you know? Because that's just... They're so voodoo, man. Like, you have to be 100% sure that they're going to be the big guy, right? Yeah, and you know, and that's why over the last 30-some years, you've seen two goaltenders that got taken first overall. In Flurry and DiPietro. Yeah. And look how that worked out. Yeah, but you know, okay. DiPietro was not really his fault because he got injured. Right. Had he not been injured, it would have been interesting to see how he would have turned out. That's fair. That's right. The other thing, though, is like you also just don't see that many goalies take, getting taken in the first round at all. Like the only one, other ones that I can think of off the top of my head are Vasilevsky and Jack Campbell. Which and yeah, people the at the time completely passed on Vasilevsky. Yeah. At the time, though, people were calling Jack Campbell a reach. Yeah, because he got taken what? Like 10th, 10th overall? overall. What year was he taken? 2010? I think so. Yeah, I remember because he was a guy that we were all kind of like, is is he just going to be a bust? And then he wasn't and actually turned out to be a really good goaltender. Yeah. But going back to Dubnik, he is definitely a guy who deserved to go in the first round. We're talking about a guy who drags some pretty awful teams kicking and screaming to the playoffs. Yeah, 100%. 100%. You know, actually, we mentioned about Rick DiPietro. You know, if I had it, if I, if, I, if I could bring anybody onto the podcast, you know who would actually, actually I would bring on? Is Mike Milbury. I would like to sit down with him, go through some of these trades, and get him to tell us why he made that decision like just get the exposed rationale yeah like the rationale behind going after like trading trading luongo and then getting dphro yeah. some of the trades at the time you can look at and it's like okay i can kind of see why like, like i get the yashin trade redden for berard you can kind of believe why that he did that the yashin trade because 
his rationale would probably be he needs to make some trades to try and get to the playoffs. Yeah. And that was a trade that got him over the top. Because that offseason, he brought in three pieces. Yashin, Pekka, and Chris Osgood. That got him to the playoffs. Yeah. Now, we're talking about Devin Dubnik. I mean, he's not a he was not a superstar by any means. I definitely remember him with Minnesota. And you're absolutely right. Like, he dragged Minnesota kicking and screaming in some of those years. And he even won playoff series with them. Yeah. That was really amazing. Like, 2014. Yeah, like, they brought him in from Arizona. And he just, like, gels immediately. And probably played one of the best goaltending careers of like, the goal t- best goaltending year of his career. Yeah. Like, shit's nuts. But even if you look at his stat line, when he played Edmonton, despite the win-loss record, he put up very good save percentages, good goals against on terrible Edmonton teams. Well, not just that. Looking at his fan, like his saves above expected, we're at like negative 7%, negative 6%. So like, there's like what you would expect a competent goalie to do on those Edmonton teams. Then add 7% to his save percentage, and that's Devin Dubnik. So, like, the guy was a quality goaltender, and taking him in the first round was not ill-advised. No. No, but you have to, and you you absolutely hit, and I know you need to make sure you know exactly what you're getting when you're drafting a goalie in the first round. Because not everybody's a Vasilevsky. Oh, for sure. And, like, the insane thing with Devin Dubnik is in... Like his seasons with Edmonton, sure, like 0. 0.916 to 0. 0.914, 0. 0.920. Who was the defense on those teams? For like, Edmonton? For Edmonton, yeah. Like, would have Sheldon the top team have been like Sheldon Shark Sheldon Surrey even with them at that point? No, yeah. by 2012, like it was Jeff Petrie, Nick Ooh. Schultz, Ooh. Smead. Ooh. Oh, they had Ryan Whitney and Justin Schultz. Like that is oh god! I remember Ryan Whitney with the Oilers. Good lord! Thank God he's a better podcaster than he is a hockey player. Yeah, which isn't saying much because I I know you're not a spit and chicklets guy, and I I take them for what they are. Their interviews are really good. I've said them in the past. Ryan Whitney's just an idiot. That's just like I think as much as I know Bizonette can come off as being an idiot. At least with him, he's kind of that. Eh, whatever. He's he's kind of harmless to me. But Whitney is just such an idiot that I just I can't take him seriously. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Do you want to move on to the next? Yes, the next because story? Yeah. Tim, we've got the newest NHL Iron Man, and it it's Phil Kessel. <laughs> Vegas Gold Knights forward, Phil Kessel passed Keith Yandel to become the NHL's Iron Man at 990 games. During the Golden Knights game versus San Jose. Kessel also recorded his 400th career goal as well in said game. You know what's the funny thing is with Keith Yandel, it was obvious that they were just dragging this guy's career out so he could get that streak. With Phil Kessel, I was I was kind of wondering if that was going to be the case. Man, I think Arizona's just a hockey quality pit. Because he has looked very good. But very good might be an exaggeration, but he's looked quite, quite good in Vegas this year. Yeah, well, I know that people have said about Phil Kessel when he came to training camp that he completely changed his diet. 
Like he went gluten free. He started hitting the. That, that's the funny thing about Phil is that it's amazing the the perception of Phil Kessel over the years because he was seen as a guy who good goal scorer to somebody in Toronto who just didn't seem to really give a shit what anybody thought to a guy who just became really kind of lovable in the NHL because you hear some of the stories about Phil and you're just like, this is hilarious. Well, the best one is, is that he took the hot dog joke that people were making fun of him for calling him a fat ass. And he then puts hot dogs in the Stanley Cup. I said like, to my brother, you know what? I wonder. Toronto media, right? Had he won, had he won the MVP of 2016? Do you think he, you know, like when you, I don't, I don't know if they do the bag, the bagged hot dogs anymore. Remember, you used to get like the big bags that had the individual hot dogs in them. Oh yeah. Do you remember those? What if he just got that and just ripped it open and opened it into the Stanley Cup bowl? <laughs> oh my god it would have been amazing you know what and it's funny speaking about shit, spit and chicklets phil kessel has become one of those guys that the spit and chicklets guys love because they hear love hearing the kessel stories like you know you had gary roberts who was his trainer in the offseason but i can't remember who it was i think it was john michael lyles was talking about when phil and him played on toronto and randy carla was the head coach and randy had wait everybody in I think it was yeah. like every week or every day. And Phil's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing that. He's like, don't, no, John, you gotta no. Or Phil, you gotta weigh in. So Phil, he knows Randy's down the hallway. He pokes his head and goes, You tell that fuck if he wants to weigh me, he can come weigh me in himself. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's amazing. But even some of the stories that like Christopher Steeg would say, where you know. He would be laying on the couch at seven in the morning. He opens his body and goes, ah, Steger, turn off the lights. It's like, for fuck's sakes, Phil. He's like, why, why, are you, why is your stomach killing you? I don't know. I ate all that cheese last night. <laughs> but also, uh, like, can you blame him? You're an AHL player and just like, Sit there and eat forty-eight slices of American cheese, and then go. I think out he would. You know what it was? I think he made like he homemade nachos. He just like we felt the nachos, yeah. And he just had the cheese. Actually, I had those for lunch this today. It was pretty good. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. I think it was somebody on Twitter. They made a comment about Castle, and this is you know, isn't it amazing? There's an NHL full of players that diet on chickpea pasta and here's Phil Castle crushing hot dogs and he's the NHL's Iron Man. <laughs> hey, a life well lived. Exactly. Now we also got to give another quick shout out and it's Phil Castle's former teammate in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh Penguins captain Sidney Crosby tied Adam Oates for 18th on the all-time points list with 1,420. Actually, uh, one thing we do have to mention, it's very funny that Kessel tied the Iron Man record against the fucking Leafs. No, he did against uh, San Jose. I thought game nine, 989 was against the Leafs and then 990 oh, was San Jose. right, right, right. Okay, no, you're right. Sorry, Tim. No, you're absolutely right. Now, Crosby, at the time of the story, is five points behind Brian Trotre for 17th all-time. I don't know where he is right now. Off the top of my head, you don't mind just bringing it up. Yeah. But again, I mean... 
it, it really is amazing. Like you're looking at the back nine of Crosby's career and you think 1420, that's pretty good. I yep. wonder what that number would be at if he had not spent almost a year injured. Yeah, no kidding. It's almost like it, it's it's very much like a Mario Lemieux situation. Is how much how many more points would he have had had he not had cancer? Had he not sat out a year? Had he not been injured so much? Would he be closer to say two thousand points? Yeah, and that's definitely one of those things where you think about it. It's like it definitely really sucks to think about, but uh, we did get this. And at the same time, though, who knows? Maybe Crosby just plays until he's forty. I could see that. Like Crosby has not lost a step at all. No. It, he really hasn't. Now, I know for next week, we actually have an Alex Ovechkin story to talk about, Tim. Nice. Yeah, because I mean, actually, you know what? Let, let's bring it up right here. Ovechkin passed Brett Hall to become the sole leader of go ahead goals with 265. He's Damn. at 785 right now. Okay, so he's. 51 behind Gordie Howe. Yeah, that's an, God, that's amazing. It really is amazing, Tim. Now, what's also amazing is talking about this next story, Nashville Predators general manager David Poyle became the fifth GM in NHL history to win 900 games with one franchise. Poyle has been the Predators' only general manager in franchise history. That's such a weird thing to think about. It is. Because, you know, when you think of those expansion teams of the 90s, there would be a number of years where they were expansion team. And then you transition into a fringe playoff team or a playoff team. Over those years, whether it be in Minnesota, whether it be in Columbus, whether it be in Anaheim or Florida or Tampa Bay or where or Dallas or wherever, how many you think of all the GMs or head coaches they went through? Nashville went through one GM and one head coach for what? 16, 15 years. Yeah. Cause like they had, and Barry that was just Trotz. oil and Barry Trotz. Yeah. And it's like Barry Trotz has been very good throughout his whole career. Like Nashville is doing better than they should. I don't see a cup contender, but I, they are overachieving. There's no two is about that. When I think of David Poyle in Nashville, what I really think about is the fact that the Predators have been one of these teams, their biggest strength has been in their drafting. Because when the Predators, and the Predators don't go big game hunting often throughout their years. They've gone a few times when they landed Paul Correa, which turned out great. Peter Forsberg was kind of a bust. The Philip Forsberg trade was fantastic. Yeah, even the Matt Duchesne trade's not looking too. Sorry, the Matt Duchesne pickups looking pretty good. It's true. I mean, you look at some of the moves that they've made. I mean, I would. You could even put Weber for Subban. They they managed to get out of Subban. Yeah, but before it got real bad, got to the Stanley Cup Finals with Subban. That's true. So there's there's no terrible things there. Now I actually brought up. The Nashville Predators draft history. Okay. Yep. So here are some of the names that you might recognize. That's not me if you've ever heard of any of these guys. Okay. David Legwan. Sens legend. Scott Hartnell. 
Dan Hamhuis, Jordan Tutu, Scotty Opshaw, Ryan Suter, Shea Weber. I mean, Alex Radloff. You know, you're looking at some of these names and you're just like, wow, like they really picked up this guy and that guy. And, but they've had, a, I mean, yeah, they've had their misses for sure, but they've had players that they hit on for sure. Oh, and their ability to just find, well, they found a ton like Roman Yossi being able to, like UC Soros, Pekka Rene. I mean, their 2009 draft, I mean, they got Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm. 2010. I mean, I mean, Austin Watson still in the NHL. Pekka Rene, as you mentioned. But there has been just Seth Jones in 2013. So there has been some very good draft picks that they've done. So you got to give the fact that Nashville has been so dedicated to David Poyle really goes to show what a quality general manager can do. Oh, yeah. Because like, when's the last time Nashville was out of the playoffs? Were they out of it last year? No, they got swept last year. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, that's right. They played Colorado, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's when Colorado just, like, bent them over and just made them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just absolutely dominated them. Uh, That's one way of putting it for sure. Now, we actually got to give another congratulations, Tim, to New York Islanders forward Josh Bailey, who played in his 1,000th NHL game on Friday night versus the Carolina Hurricanes. Bailey, selected eighth overall by the New York Islanders in 2008, has spent his entire career with the Islanders, recording 178 goals, 379 points for, so sorry, 379 assists for 557 points. You always love hearing, uh, I just love hearing those stories about like one player who just kind of spent his whole career with one team. Okay, so the last time the Predators missed the playoffs was 2013, 2014. So it's been almost a decade. Yeah, and the biggest thing for me was that, you know, when Pekka Rainey retired, you got to realize UC Soros was a, okay, how is he going to do without Rene? He's just ran with it. it. Yeah. And that's been amazing. The Islanders are another franchise in recent years. As much as you can criticize them for a number of reasons, like there's some draft picks that they've hit on. Outside of Tavares, Bailey they hit on, Anders Lee they hit on, Brock Nelson they hit on. They hit on a few guys. Yeah. Alo Caposo they hit on. Yeah, like it's been, uh, like the Islanders have been pretty good at drafting. And, well, we'll see what the rest of the Lou Lamorello era looks like. Yeah, because he certainly fell asleep this offseason for sure. Yeah. Uh, stuff happened. I don't know what. Yeah, best way to put it, Tim. Best way to it. Now, of course, we only got one trade to talk about, and the Vancouver Canucks have acquired defenseman Ethan Bear and forward Lane Pedersen from the Carolina Hurricanes for a 2023 fifth-round pick. Bear recorded five goals, nine assists for 14 points in 58 games for Carolina, while Pedersen recorded two assists in 29 games for San Jose last season. Ethan Bear. This is a guy in the last couple of years. I'm not exactly sure why teams give up on him. Ethan Bear is weird. 
because yeah. like he's when he's good he is great when it's not firing oh boy like he seems like a more extreme cody cc but which might spark some life in vancouver yeah i know they <laughs> i know they're having a well, I'll say a bad season is like one way of putting it, but Eastman Bears have been a guy who the last couple of seasons, like he's definitely fans. Well, fans have tried to make a connection between Eastman Bear being cut or traded by teams and the fact that he's acknowledging his native roots, which I completely disagree with because of the fact that, as you just mentioned, when he's good, he's great. When he's off, ugh. Yeah, he was very good in those lockout seasons with seasons with Edmonton. And then just you could see as he started going from when he was on to when he was not on that Rob the Bod just didn't have time for that. Yeah. And, then you know, like those people that try to make that connection with Ethan Bear. To me, it's, it's the same connection that people try to do with Kaepernick back in the day. I've always said it's not because Colin Kaepernick took a knee. It's because he wasn't a good quarterback. Teams will take chances on a guy who's good. That's the big thing I've always said. It doesn't matter what you are off the field. Teams will take a chance. You Deshaun Watson's a big, that's a good example right there in the NFL today. Or Kylie Irving. Uh, Just going. I, I can't say he's gone full Kanye, but he's getting there. Yeah. Full Kanye, especially this past week. And I haven't even. Oh, did you see what Kylie Irving retweeted the other day? No, it was a uh, a very anti-Semitic video. So uh, yeah, we're we're getting to Kanye levels. That's been uh, that's been something else. But yeah, like the thing with Ethan Barron, the guy, like he can he can really skate. He can put shoot and he can shoot that puck and he can pass very nicely. It's just yeah. He gets burned sometimes worse than he could pass. And I really hope it works out for him. And if it does, I think Vancouver, the city would be a great landing spot for him. Absolutely. Especially with the big native communities that they have in Vancouver. Cause I know that even before every Canucks game, they acknowledge the fact that Rogers arena is on native land. Yep. And I think that's a great acknowledgement. And I know a lot of senators fans were really looking at, Oh man, with some of the injuries, like with Artem Zub on the back end, Ethan Bear could have been a good pickup, but, you know, is what it is, unfortunately. Now, we're going to close off top of the hour by talking about the Ottawa Senators because they have re-signed forward Mark Kasselik to a two-year, $1.67 million contract with an AAV of 835000 Kasselik had recorded two goals in six games for Ottawa at the time of the story. I like to think it's because of the Jesus picture from Halloween. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, like, Matt Kastelik has really settled in as exactly what you want from a fourth line forward. Yeah. And even if you go back and listen to that draft episode that we did when Mark Kastelik got taken from the Calgary Hitman, we even said, like, we're not exactly sure what we got here. Yeah. We've got a guy who will probably be a very good American Hockey League player. But that's the thing with the Senators in the last couple of years is that the guys that they are taking, they're hitting on. And yep. not just in the first round. Like, you're thinking, I mean, it goes as far as back as you want with Batherson. But when you look at, like, Formatin, Castellick, 
Pinto. Hell, Hawk, I mean, Parker Kelly. Parker Kelly. I mean, the, some of these guys that they're landing, it's hitting. And we go back and listen to those draft episodes we did. I mean, we were saying, we're like, we don't know what we got here. Yeah. And Tyler, even Tyler Clevin will probably make the team. Yeah. The only one who looks like he might be a bit of a bust is Tyler Boucher. But again, that's a time will tell because we yeah. have not seen him at the pros. Again, but, people probably yeah. would have thought Brady would have been a bust. And look how he well he's done in the pros. Well, people think that Brady Kachuk is probably the best player out of that draft. I think right now it, it is him, Svechnikov, and Deline. Like that, like that 2018 draft is really good. But like the fact that he is yeah. definitely better than Kotechniemi, and all of us can meet culpa with the Zidine, with him being better than Zadina. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at Red Wing Twitter right now. Oh, oh, oh. I like well, the they fact... just got beat down by Buffalo. Dude, I love bad. the fact that we bested the Rangers twice in two drafts. <laughs> we took Brady over Sedina, and then we took Stutzel at three. Oh, Philip Sedina. But yeah, Mark Kastelik is he is a perfect fourth line center when he comes on the ice. Puck goes the other way. Or at the very least, Puck doesn't go towards the Ottawa net, which is exactly what you need. Well, Tim, that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can mean only one thing. So we're talking about some games. Now, we got three games on the schedule. We've got the Stars versus the Senators, Wild versus the Senators, and the first to Chuck Bowl for 2022-23, Sens versus Panthers. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Stars versus the Senators. This is a 4-2 Senators victory. Stars goals were scored by Joel Kiviranta and Wyatt Johnston. Senators goals were scored by... Hot Sam Joe. Brady DeChuck, Shane Pinto, and Derek Broussard. Shots were 32-31 for Ottawa. Joel Kiviranta opens the score to make it 1-0 stars. Thomas Shabbat gets Ottawa on the board to tie the game at 1. Brady DeChuck slides at 5-hole. Yeah, nice. To make it 2-1 Senators. Shane Pinto risks a top shelf to make it 3-1. Derek Broussard scores to make it 4-1. And Wyatt Johnson scores to make it 4-2 Senators, which would be the final. So, condensed it. It was my one-year anniversary of that day. Aww. I know, but I did get a chance to watch the first period, and we went out for dinner. Nice. We went to Mr. So we went to Mr. Mike's for dinner that night, and we had a couple of margaritas. And margaritas were pretty good. Not okay. like I'm not a big margarita guy myself. I know you're not a drinker anymore, but yeah, I don't. I don't mind margaritas now. I had one last night. Actually, it was really good. Uh, what else I have? Yeah, we had this artichoke dip. Didn't come with bread. It came with like tortilla chips. A little too thin. And the dinner was all right. Can't complain. So let's talk about this game, Tim. Thomas Shabbat. One goal, one assist, two points on seven shots. It's good to see Tommy get on the board. Yeah. And it was just what the doctor ordered because up to that moment, Scott Wedgwood was playing out of his 
freaking mind. He looked like Hasek out there, man. He was just killing us. Yeah, especially because the Stars had, after their opening goal, they just disappeared, man. Like, it was from that goal, that goal on, Ottawa just put the pedal to the metal, and Helberg actually looked pretty good after that as well, but I'd say pretty much almost all the lines looked great for the Senators. It's one of those games that I kind of wish that I got a chance to sit down and watch the whole way through because it did seem like a good game on the condensed version. I bet Scott Wedgwood bet he has that goal back on the Brady Chuck, who had a goal and assist for two points on two shots. Yeah, well, it definitely looked like that was the goal that kind of broke him because then two quick more, two more quickly go in. Yeah. Now, the one thing you didn't mention about Magnus Helberg, who had 29 saves, a point nine five nine three five save percentage, got his first W as an Ottawa Senator. Yep. And he was, I think it was like over a thousand days between his previous win and his first, no, sorry. It was a long time between his, per, his last win and his first win. And it was the first player, I think, to have m- multiple wins with multiple teams with very few games played. Like there was a significant thing. I can't remember what it was. The other funny thing though, was the gap between Derek Broussard's last goal as an Ottawa Senator and his current goal and his most recent goal with the Ottawa Senators was 1800 days over three. I know I was going to say, Tim, should we just have a third episode? Where we're talking about all the teams he played for. Fuck. Our fans will love it. I know. I mean, between Kelly wanting a picture of your entertainment system and that, you know, it's good to get the interactions, Tim. Now, yeah. last guy we need to talk about here was Shane Pinto, who got a goal on one shot. Once again, the guy's red hot in these games. And the thing is, is it's not just is he red hot in the scoring sense, is he's playing very well to create scoring chances as well. So it's not like Shane Pinto is just running hot and lucking into things. He's looking good in most of his assignments as well. Like he played the Pinto Mott Joseph, sorry, the Pinto Mott Joseph line looked really good in their assignments against the Pavelski line. Not quite as good against Marchment and Sagan, but they still look pretty, pretty darn good this game. Now, I do get to make one comment about the Dallas Stars. I don't believe I mentioned this. Now, when I used to work at the school, one of the guys I worked with, he did a catering event this past summer. In, I think it was Mill Bay. Guess who is at the wedding? Shane Pinto? No, that would have been awesome. No, I don't think he would have knew who that's. It was Jamie and Jordy Ben. Oh, neat. Old Victoria guys, yes. And I believe he served Jamie. Oh, that's awesome. Nice guy. Didn't even really know who he was, but that's cool. So, Tim, do you want to go on and talk about the second game of the evening? Yeah, might as well. Wild versus Senators. This is a 4-2 Wild victory. Wild goals are scored by Matt Zuccarello, Karel Kaprizov, Ryan Hartman, and Frederick Goudreau. Sens goals are scored by Alex DeBrancat and Hudson Bacho. Shot for 40-29 for Minnesota. Alex DeBrancat opens the score to make it 1-0 Senators, which with a wire shot. Matt Zuccarello gets Minnesota on the board to tie it at one. Karel Kaprizov deflects it home on the point shot to make it 2-1 wild. Eric Ryan Hartman scores to make it 3-1. Thomas Shabbat scores to make it 3-2 wild. And Frederick Goudreau scores on the empty met to make it 4-2 wild for the W. 
Now, as much as this looks lopsided on the shot clock, what's very weird is that a lot of Minnesota's offense came from the outside. Yeah, now this is a game that I did watch bits and pieces of. I was working on the latest Great What Experience episode, the anniversary edition for Rage Against Machine. It was a really fun episode. I got that out. Now, we're talking about the Alex Debrinkett goal, who had one goal, one assist for two points on seven shots. So I was actually at the gym watching a bit of the first period. Nice. Do you know how hard I tried to not cheer when Debrinkett scored? <laughs> that was a wire. Holy crap, dude. Right from the slot, just looked like he just golf swung at it, kind of. I mean, he wanted that so bad, man. And hopefully there's many more like that to come. Yeah. Now, when talking about the Kaprizov goal, I can't remember who it was. It was like Carlo Koliakovo or somebody on Twitter commented that that was Eric Branstrom's fault on that goal. But it's like Eric Branstrom played him beautifully on that. There was nothing. he. There's nothing he could do on a deflection. Like, yeah, the only thing that really ha- could have gone the other way is like the puck bounced left instead of right. There's just nothing you can do about that. Like Eric Branson was, he separated the player from the puck as he needed to. The puck just didn't go the right way. It happens. And it really and is like, that was a force of God goal. Let's be real. Yeah. And it's a real shame that Anton Forsberg didn't get the W. He played very well with 29 saved and a point nine two three save percentage. Yeah. Like it was honestly a pretty darn good game for both teams. There were definitely period. Parts of it where Ottawa just kind of, especially that second period was a bit of a mess, but Ottawa played really well in the first and third. And at least according to the hockey viz model, the expected goals for both teams were pretty close at three apiece. And that's about what both teams actually scored Minnesota with an empty netter and Ottawa with a disallow. Yeah. So essentially Ottawa lost a one goal game. If you really think about it, because an empty netter is an empty netter. I got to wonder who pissed in Ottawa cereal because in the first, what, six, seven minutes of this game, there was two fights. Watson within the first like 15 seconds. And then Brady goes after got, I think who did he go after? Was it Dumba? Cause Dumba hit. Was Dumba. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows, man? Yeah. The one thing I wasn't very happy about with this game is Shabbat at 27 minutes yeah i i think it do you think it really i think it comes down to the fact that sh- the senators are getting some injuries on the back end yeah like especially losing Zub. and they don't i don't understand why they didn't bring holden back in unless he's actually injured because like zaitsev at 12 minutes you can't be doing that yeah somebody did a and those 12 minutes were fucking awful i'm trying to think somebody did a stat line on this i think the centers are what three and one when he's not in the lineup yep yeah well i mean who in who in the back end would you have brought up for that would you brought up jbd lassie thompson yeah i would have brought up either jbd or lassie thompson i honestly think heatherington yeah and it's i honestly think both of the even heatherington all three of them are better than zaitsev yeah and i i for reasons like this, people are going after the um, Chikrin, Jacob Chikrin in Arizona. They're just like, oh, my God, Dorian needs to go after this trade. And it's like, no, no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Dorian knows what the price is. He's not willing to pay that. Yep. And that's the right call. I 
I'm not sure Shikrin is worth the price. No. Like, honestly, just... especially we got Jake Sanderson on the back end. Who's you got Jake Sanderson. Incredible. And you've got three or four young guys who could fill into that spot once Ottawa dumps Zaitsev. Like, this year is Ottawa is probably not going to make the playoffs given the injuries they've had already. Like, you're already missing your top center. Your, one of your top defensemen, one of your top goalies. Like this is a se- this is a season where you needed absolutely everything to go right to be in the playoff picture. Yeah, but we're four four right now, along with most of the rest of the Eastern Division, right? Sorry, most of the rest of the Eastern Conference, right? I know, but you know what though, Sens can catch fire, go long. I'm still trying to remain optimistic about it, but it's still four and four. It's still very early, right? It's still locked. Oh yeah, so. yeah. Like the calls to fire, but to fire Dubas are in wrong. their full strength. Hey, come on! The Leafs always start like, like how often do the Leafs just start like absolute dog shit? Yeah, but somebody made a tweet. I I know you commented on that that tweet about the fire Dubas. They had like all the stuff going on in there. Oh, the stupid. That's such like boomerly fan energy, though, that they typed up this thing, printed it, then took a photo of it and then posted it on Twitter. Like, think of all the fucking steps just to be mad on the Internet. Yeah, well, Leaf fans have gotten to the point of burning jerseys now, so. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, the fact that they've only won one road game this season is kind of rough. Well, when you lose to Anaheim, that's just... Oof. They shouldn't even made it to overtime. The disallowed goal was bullshit. Unfortunately, I didn't watch it, so I have nothing to comment to him. <laughs> so let's turn our attention to the third game and the final game of the evening. Sens versus Panthers. Now, normally I would say get the score, who scored, give her thoughts and give her moments here, Tim. But I believe that we need to prepare ourselves. For the Chuck Bowl! Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Chuck Bowl. Matthew Side took this game by a score of 5-3. Sense goes to scored by Shane Pinto, Brady Chuck, and Nick Holden. Excuse me. Panthers goals are scored by Carter Verhage with two, Sasha Barkov, Brandon Montour, and Matthew DeChuck. Shots were 58-26 for Florida. Yikes. Oh, boy. Let's get something right off the top. You know how Nikita Zaitsev played 12 minutes and they were fucking garbage? Yeah. He got promoted to the Shabbat partner. And you know what always went so well whenever it was tried in previous years? The Shabbat Zaitsev pairing. So, uh, of course, they just got absolutely fucking obliterated at even strength. Dude, Florida outshot us 24 to 4 in the first period. That's the only period of this game I watched. And I had that in my notes because, man, did Ottawa look flat. And they look sloppy in this. I understand it was an afternoon game, but still, holy crap, dude. Because, like, the only goal 
the only goal, sorry, defenseman that looked good was Sanderson. I think the only thing that could have been worse about this game was that camera angle in Florida's arena. Yeah, what is that? That is such a, it's so low. Like, what the hell is that? I just really have no idea what happened. Like, the Stutzla line just got beaten in, and the Brassard Giroud to Brinkat line just really didn't do anything. Yeah. Now, of course, this was Claude Giroud's first game against his former club, and he had five shots and an assist. Yeah. So it was like the power play ended up working out. Nick Holden looked pretty good. And the Joseph Mott Pinto line wasn't terrible. But yeah, otherwise, Ottawa came out flat and just got dummied. Yeah. And it's a shame because Anton Forsberg had 53 saves, surprisingly, a 0.930 save percentage. I have four letters in bold letters on my notes right here. Hung out to dry. Wow. But also, is there any fucking doubt that Forsberg is an NHL starting goaltender at this point? Is there any doubt left? No. No, and that's why I think it'll be interesting once Cam Talbot comes back to see do we roll one A, one B? You see how Talbot plays, and they might they might enjoy a one A, one B workload at 40 games a pop. Or probably closer to 30, 50. Maybe. I do have one question to ask, though, because, <clears throat> because early in this episode, we're talking about Halloween. What do you think was the best Halloween costume? Castlek as Jesus, Forsberg and Branstrom and their girlfriends as Abba. Braid to shock his buddy the elf. The the workmanship on the buddy the elf costumes were surprisingly good. It was. I do gotta give the nod to Brady and Stone for Talladega Knights, though. That's the one that always sticks out for me, but I gotta admit, the Abba one was pretty good, though. That's fair. Yeah. Although Castellic as Jesus was pretty funny. <laughs> He's just missing the buddy Christ. There's always one. Yeah, actually, friend of the show, Dave, formerly of Maple Syrup Shots, he went as Buddy Christ one year for Halloween, and he was so good. Looked fantastic. What can I say? Now, let's go back and talk about this game. Now, Brady Dutrak actually had a goal scorer's goal in this game, as he had a goal on three shots. I do like seeing Brady score. And honestly, getting two back in the beginning of the second period, it almost became a game. Yeah, because even like watching on the condensed version, it was like right out of the second period. The Sens were cycling the puck and you could just tell like DJ basically went into the locker room and was like, what the hell was that? Yeah. The other thing that helped the Senders is Spencer Knight was bad. Yeah. He's never been the same since we sensed him last season. No. And Florida needs him to be better, right? I do have one question to ask about DJ Smith because you know there's always going to be those people who want him to be fired. If the Sens fired him, do you think that's the right decision given that the players have really bought into him? It's hard to say. DJ Smith, every so often he just makes just weird decisions. And there's been, even this season, there's been quite a few games where the team just wasn't ready to play. But at the same time, we are still looking at one of the top 
five three one of the top offenses in the nhl right now in terms of uh, just generating chances like the cents have been just better at it than even like the leafs and stuff uh, money puck rates them fifth in the nhl so like he is getting a lot of offense out of this team but the defense is going to be a problem uh especially with o2 100 percent. now the only other note i have on this game i mean that's the goal that would have put them up three two it was a pretty fluky goal, even if Sanderson hadn't touched. Interfered, yeah. Yeah. If he hadn't, though, and the Sens went up 3-2, it, that game could have been a Sens. Yeah, that completely. That would have been like the Hurricanes game from last season. Oh, yeah. Although, the difference between this and the Hurricanes game was Ottawa, it, Ottawa actually at least almost got 30 shots this game. Yeah, and that's amazing that I think about. Like, imagine if the Panthers had outshot us 58 to 26 and Ottawa won 5-3. Yeah. That would have been uh, something else, that's for sure. But then, like, we're underrating that how bad that Carolina game was last year that Forsberg stole, because if I remember correctly... Oh, it was bad. It was even worse than this one. I want to say, like, it was something stupid, like... Oh, well, that game... Ottawa got, like, 10 side shots the total. Got going. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So, Tim, I don't have any more notes on these games. If you want to head off to the close for another yeah, let's episode. wrap her up. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as on Twitter. At Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is, Tim is at M901HoneyBadger. And I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8. W-Y-T-E, Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to give us some thoughts on Halloween and some of your favorite treats, choose an email. Fairplugsunscatch at gmail.com. So, Tim, for the coming week, we got three games. Nice. Tomorrow night, we are in Tampa Bay to play the Tampa Bay Lightning. Thursday, we are at home to play the Vegas Golden Knights and Phil Kessel. And Saturday night, we will be playing the Philadelphia Flyers. Nice. You know what's really surprising about Philadelphia right now? They're the doing e- well. The Eagles are 7-0. and oh. What's going on in Philly right now? I don't know. The Eagles are undefeated. The freaking Phillies are in the World Series right now. The Flyers are not hot garbage. I don't know if I like this universe, Tim, where Philadelphia is doing good. I don't want Philadelphia to have nice things. No. Nothing's been the same since they won the Super Bowl. That's true. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. <laughs>